Hey everybody, welcome back to Creative Health Podcast, your fix for all the connections between creativity and health and well-being. My guest today is Lynn Parker. Lynn founded Funny Women in 2002 in response to a comedy promoter who told her that women aren't funny. She went on to create the Funny Women Awards and 20 years on, the rest is history. Funny Women is now an acclaimed not-for-profit community for women to build self-confidence and develop their own distinctive voice. Lynn describes it as her life's work, providing a safe, diverse, creative platform that empowers women to perform, write and use humour in business and everyday life. In addition to producing comedy shows and running events, Lynn is a renowned performance coach, encouraging people in business and public life to stand up, to stand out. Lynn and I had a great conversation about how Funny Women came about and the many benefits of comedy for anyone, not just women, including confidence and empowerment, resilience, belonging, courage and validation. Lynn thinks we women take ourselves too seriously and that we all need to learn to be silly again. Here's what she had to say. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to Creative Health Podcast. Hello, Laura. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Good. So our paths have crossed a few times, I think, over the last few years. And when I started this podcast, I made this list of people that I already know or whose work I'm aware of that I'd like to have on my podcast. And you were on that list, Lynn. Oh, I'm honoured. <laughs> I'm very grateful that you're here today because your organisation, Funny Women, which we're going to talk about, has done so much for women in comedy. And there's really strong links between comedy and confidence and empowerment and therefore health and well-being. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. So tell us about the story of how Funny Women came about. Oh, how long you got? Um, (laughs) So this is my kind of third. I don't know if we have third careers. I think my careers have all merged into each other. But back in the last century... I was working as a PR consultant and one of my clients was a comedy promoter and they ran a club in London and they just never put any women on. I mean, when they did, it was rare. And I questioned it as one does because I'm that kind of person. And I was just glibly told that the reason they never booked any women is because there weren't any and that women aren't funny. So it sort of stuck with me and an opportunity came up for me to do something at the actual club. But before we even got to running this event, which I had already named Funny Women, the two owners, one was American, one was English, had a bit of a fallout. And the American guy who had brought me in originally disappeared off the scene and the remaining British partner sacked me. (laughs) That's the short answer. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, for putting on women? He sacked you for that? No, no, for just because he didn't really want me around. I I think I was a bit of a thorn in his side and they just didn't really understand what I was trying to say. And, you know, most of us with any common sense know that diversity is really important. I couldn't understand a situation where night after night of entertainment was a, a lineup of white, male 
fairly young men. It just didn't seem right to me. And we are going back to the late 1990s. So, you know, I think things have changed, but there's still room for improvement. Yeah. I just didn't get on with them. And I think they thought that I was too difficult to deal with, you know, older woman, difficult woman, all the usual stuff. So I had thought that my idea was a good one. So I kind of set out to do my own thing. It did take me a while. And I finally got the funding from some sponsorship and some support in the form of a comedy producer who I worked with for the first few years. And I launched the whole thing properly in 2002. We did have a big gala comedy event in 2002, but we launched the awards in 2003. And really, it's the awards that are the best known part of the comedy element of what I do, around which everything kind of rotates, because that is the platform for bringing through new talent. It provides an opportunity that hitherto wasn't there. Still isn't, you know, it's interesting. I think we're still uniquely the only kind of platform of our kind. I think there are other similar things, but certainly the Funny Women Awards now attracts probably over 2,000 women engaged with the awards each year. We started out with one award and we had like 70 women enter. And now at the close of play this year, we have five different awards and the, we have nominations and women who self-enter. And we are definitely clocking up over 2,000 women involved in some way. It's amazing. So it's um, it's a big beastie that needs quite a lot of feeding. And has, unfortunately, with COVID and all the other problems in the world, become much more problematic to manage and run. So watch this space. I don't know where it goes from here. Right. I'm having a rest at the moment. (laughs) I'll have a think about what, I mean, I know what I want to do, but it needs support from other people in the industry and it needs funding we're like a lot of non-profit organizations there is this sort of blind belief that you're going to get it together in some way which I tend to do but I think that has got harder and harder um, sadly. But Funny Women turned 20 this year which is amazing huge congratulations on that. Thank you. And in that time it seems to me that you have changed the landscape of stand-up comedy and comedy on TV and you've launched the careers of some huge names in comedy so people like Catherine Ryan, Sarah Millican, Sarah Pascoe, many others. What was the response from the comedy industry in the early days about what you were trying to do? The response has always been fine. I think anyone that gets off their backside and does something tends to earn the respect of the industry. I think there's a lot of people do a lot of talking and a lot of people don't do things. And, you know, I must admit, at around the five-year point, I honestly thought that we probably might have changed things by now. And I remember quite a well-known comedian who will remain nameless saying to me, I don't think you need to do this anymore. There's enough of us now, which I thought was quite interesting because clearly she felt threatened in some way by all this new talent that was coming through. And I think that kind of gave me a bit of a kick up the bum. I remember thinking, no, there aren't enough yet. We're still not seeing equal bills, you know, not just gender, but culture, sexuality, 
ability. You know, we're still, even now, we're still trying to get that right. But yeah, so that was quite interesting. And I think having gone beyond that point, then we got to 10 years and I remember thinking, where are we now? We've also broadened and, you know, a lot of the work I do to encourage women in comedy has also formed the basis of a fairly strong corporate business. And that, again, was accidental in the sense that I'd run public workshops for women who want to get into comedy. I'm very much a starter person, you know, get people started, give them their confidence, not scare them off, let them see the possibilities. And those workshops were being attended by women, not who didn't want to do comedy, but just wanted to build their own confidence. So from there, we we kind of got asked to do the same thing in large organisations, which we do to this day. And that was a really good way of broadening the kind of platform into not just comedy, but workplace, general well-being, women's confidence. Had I think we not gone that route, I think I might have moved on and done something different, you know, but I still do a lot of what I want to do as an individual under the umbrella of funny women. But that's not to say I don't have aspirations to to moving beyond that at some point. Mm. Well, I'm going to pick up on that sister business of yours a bit later on as well. But I want to delve more into funny women and how that works. And I wondered if there was a kind of sort of FU attitude from you, you know, that just said, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it well even though you might have those people saying to you, I don't think you should be doing this anymore, or maybe didn't really like it in the first place. Did you have that kind of attitude of like, "I'm no, I'm doing this? I think if someone questions it, then clearly it needs to be done. You know, it's the, it's always the the people that somehow oppose you that throw up the fact that you actually need this. So, yeah, I'm very much a... F, you know, F, <laughs> yeah. FO'd kind of person. I'm, I'm not, I'm not easily influenced. I think the thing I don't understand about myself really is sometimes why I keep on doing it because it is like a very long twenty-year punishment in lots of ways. <laughs> it's very hard work. I do not, despite how it may look, make a huge amount of money out of it. I make a living. And I think because of the corporate work, that has helped to sustain it. Yeah. But I'm not doing this to get rich or get famous. And I do often question, particularly now, what my legacy is going to be. Because I think that's when you get into, you know, I'm in my 60s and I've been doing this a long time. And I just think I do start to question why have I done this for all this amount of time? And that's been quite interesting because this year, because we've had a bit of an anniversary, there's been some activity around it, which has put it partly into context for me. But I, if I'm honest, I'm still grappling with that. Mm. I mean, I would say your legacy is already there. Is you know, you have, like I said yeah. before, you changed. Funny Women has changed the landscape for women and paved the way for women and created opportunities that weren't there. And in fact, I mean, that's what I wanted to ask you about as well, is how you actually created those opportunities when they weren't there what did you do and how did you make that happen? Central to it all is running a competition. I mean, it is a competition and there are winners, 
But it's more than a competition because it's all about the journey. It's all about the people that come through it. And the latter years have been a little more tricky because since COVID, we've done quite a lot of the development and the early rounds online. I don't think it's the same. I'm hoping that with the right support for the next year, we will be able to go back and do more live stuff because actually part of that journey for the women is being in a room with lots of other women and performing with them. So creating environments through workshops, gigs, you know, even Zoom get togethers are really important for all of us to exchange. Because I think regardless of the improvements in equality, the issues that face women to have a career in comedy or indeed a career in any other field are not the same as they are for men. And and I, I refuse to have that argument with anyone that says it's, oh, it's the same because it isn't the same. Yeah. I've been married for a very long time and I have a son and a daughter and I've seen how they've been affected and I've seen how we've managed things as a couple, you know, bringing up our kids and, and there is a negative side if you're a man of wanting to be involved with your family because if you want to spend time caring for your kids that is seen negatively and if you're a woman who wants to work and leave your kids with your partner that is seen negatively there's a sort of no win situation <laughs> and it it just seems mad to me i've just watching my son go through it at the moment cuz he's now got a 1 year old and he and his wife both work but they're very much both parenting. It's very curious to watch because I remember when he was born, how we managed things. And definitely there are aspects of what my husband did that he had to put on the back burner so that he could support me. Because at the time I had quite a high profile job in a PR consultancy and I had to go back to work, you know. So these are common things, whether we're in, and, you know, I've spoken to comedy couples, I have a few quite well-known couples who are both comedians and how they have to manage things so that one of them can gig at night and then the other one, you know, there are lots of compromises. And I would like to just see more fluidity around things. And that's, I think, maybe that's why funny women and organisations like us have to exist because without a sort of cohesive point for women to come together and discuss their issues, whether they're in transport, or HR, comedy, television, whatever, a lot of the things that face women are the same in terms of working hours and safety. You know, the whole thing around safety is, particularly in our world of entertainment, I mean, this year has been shocking for it, really. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you know, generally, I guess gigging happens at night. Mm. And if you're starting out, it happens in not the best venues in the world. Mm. So, yeah, lots of challenges around that. A lot of unseen uh, abuse. It's disguised. You know, a lot of women would accept things which are totally unacceptable Mm. because they felt they had no choice. And we've got to change that. And that's why there's organisations like Time's Up or popping up all over the place because they're, I mean, like funny women, they're encouraging women to stand up for things, stand up for themselves. And I also feel that the work I do, okay, comedy is the main thing, 
But, you know, the whole idea of comedy is about, you know, if you're a confident woman, you will then say, look, I'm not having this. I'm going to stand up for it. Uh, To be frank, I've spent my entire career being called aggressive and what have you because I stand up for myself. But, you know, and I know a lot of other women like me, but that's it. You know, we have to reframe that. We're not aggressive. We're just sticking up for ourselves. We don't want to stand for it. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest change that I've seen over the 20 odd years that I've run Funny Women. There is much more propensity for women to be a bit mouthy and really say it like it is. But I do think that is because of the role models that have come through. And, you know, visible female comedians are very strident and out there and say it like it is. So I think culture is always a reflection of what's going on in society. So comedy is a really big part of culture. And it very much showcases women, modern women, for what they are. Mm. And whatever age they are as well. You know, we've got a much more, much broader age profile. It's still not broad enough, in my opinion. Anyway, we're, we're working on that one. Yeah. We're working on that. You mentioned confidence, obviously, being a biggie in terms of what comedy can do for women. But what else does comedy give to women? So um, I think this applies, by the way, regardless of gender. So I think this is kind of Mm -hmm. a thing and it's about, it's generally about humour. So being present, allowing yourself to observe things, give yourselves a moment of levity, all of that's really important and it really improves your well-being and gives you the ability to lighten the mood around you. So that's a really good tip. More than anything, I think comedy and humour We've talked about the cultural thing, but it really breaks down barriers. Humour is a way of humanising our actions. And if you look at good leaders, they're very comfortable around humour. Not always appropriate, but that's another discussion. And they will naturally use their humour to um, pepper their speeches and their presentations They're always the master or the mistress of a good anecdote, which is a tip I'd give anyone. It's always worth having your sort of material ready for when you're asked. I mean, it's like being on this. There are lots of things I talk about all the time, and that's my material. The other thing I think it gives people is a sense of belonging and community. And comedy is a very communal activity. It's a very human thing. The nice thing about laughter is that we tend to laugh together with other people well it's very much a communal activity and laughter relaxes us we don't take ourselves so seriously and that opens us up to uh, more meaningful connections and also which I feel is particularly at the moment the possibilities you know um, sometimes I get in in my head and I have to remind myself that I work in comedy and having a good laugh can really sort of put my possibilities back on the agenda because it's very easy to go down that black hole of thinking oh it's all terrible you know yeah and that leads to things like building resilience ability to laugh is really good way of giving yourself the courage to take on bigger risks recover more quickly from setbacks and I think getting a laugh is really really validating that's that I mean, people laughing with you, again, going back to the community thing. And by doing that, enabling laughter with other people gives you confidence. And sometimes you don't mean to be funny, but the fact that someone laughs along with you just can be such an amazing boost to your sort of serotonin levels. 
And I think we forget that. I think I've been getting a lot of invitations to women's networking things at the moment, and they all look very worthy. They're just, where's the fun? You know, I love to watch good speakers and everything, but it's all a bit serious and worthy. How many of them are comfortable around humour? I still don't think we've cracked that. In fact, the really successful women who do public speaking things usually have cracked it. So they're the ones to look out for. I kind of understand why women take themselves seriously, but I think they need to lighten up a bit now, you know, (sighs) have a bit of fun. And also, if you're funny, people remember you as well. So, you know, number of things I've been to, which are serious business conferences, and I, I like to listen. I'm very much kind of listen in and watch people. And I particularly like seeing people walking out of an auditorium and hearing what they say. And invariably they go, oh, they were a really good speaker. They were really funny. Yeah. You know, so... That immediate response. Those are kind of my tips. I really like that. So I know, obviously, we're talking about being a bit more lighthearted, but I am going to ask you about the darker side of comedy as well. Yeah, well, there's lots of it. Yeah, yeah. Because it is quite well documented that there is a really dark side to comedy and Mm. that it is used as a way of processing trauma and grief and depression and suicidal thoughts, you know, self-loathing and all that kind of thing, and that it is a kind of therapy Tell us what you understand about this and how you've seen that sort of play out over the years with through funny women. Okay. Well, there are multiple answers to this question. Let me give you a fun fact to start with, because I think it's quite interesting. A Gallup poll from two years ago found that the amount we laugh falls off when we're 23. So after the age of 23, we're less open to laughing. Oh, wow. Which I thought really interesting. Yes. You know, I've not tested it out, but there you go. And a four-year-old laughs 300 times a day, but a 40-year-old laughs 300 times every two and a half months. No, that's really sad. (laughs) So I think what that demonstrates is that kind of life gets in the way. And as we get older, we get more inhibited. I'm not going to go into too much of this. I run workshops on this. This is my thing, you know, my main workshop. But I I think there are really key points is that if you don't use it, you lose it. And laughter is really intrinsic to our psyche. And it's all linked to the hormones, your endocrine system. We have happy hormones, we have stress hormones, and our body has to balance that out. So if you put that into the sort of comedy versus tragedy image, and I like to always cite the signs for drama, which is a sad mask and a happy mask, the two are very close together. And that is because we are controlled by our hormones. Our endocrine system is the thing that balances everything out in our bodies. So one of the control mechanisms is laughter can help you to process things like stress, fear, anxiety, embarrassment, grief. Often you'll see if you've had a very sort of awful thing happen, as you come out of it, the shock will induce sort of almost hysterical laughter. Well, that's your body 
trying to normalize itself you know and conversely when we are at that terrible stage where we laugh too much sometimes we build up too much too much of the happy stuff that we embarrass ourselves with a little bit of a pee or (laughs) when you get we start getting older yeah 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 (laughs) but you know our bodies are a really good barometer of how we use that sort of mechanism around humor years and years ago now about probably five years into funny women probably same time as that comedian told me they didn't need any more female comedians I remember saying to a friend now no longer a friend I didn't understand why she never came and supported me at any of my live comedy events that was putting on and she just turned around to me and said I don't like laughing which I think is the most bizarre thing yeah but it's interesting because every now and then I experiment with this idea and I do ask a few people who I feel are a little bit lacking in sense of humor about what do they laugh at or what makes them laugh and quite you know it's interesting there are people who just don't get it they don't laugh they probably don't cry either. Do you know? I think it's interesting. There's a sort of flat line of emotion. Yes. And and I bringing it to the present day and everything we've been through in you know the last few years. I mean, it's interesting how many people are forgetting already that we had nearly three years dealing with a pandemic. Laughter became really important. You know how many funny memes were doing the rounds and people were dressing up and going on Zoom and doing all sorts of weird stuff because they were just trying to make each other laugh and lift the mood. So I'm concerned that people are already forgetting that. And I think we need to, you know, get our laughter chops back in. And I'm guilty because we're not doing anywhere near the amount of live events that we used to do because it's just too risky. On the one hand, people want these things but you have to deliver them in a different way. So, every, you know, comedy now is delivered on TikTok and Instagram and obviously, you know, television, Netflix, banging stuff out all the time, Amazon Prime. There's so much investment in the sort of online market. I feel sad that people aren't going out to things and communing and being in a room with each other because nothing beats that. Nothing beats it. But society has changed and people are fearful. You know, they don't want to go out late at night. They're worried. Transportation is more difficult. I live outside of London. It's much more expensive to go into London. I can't go into London three, four nights a week like I used to. So we've got all these factors contributing to this completely different world scenario alongside all the fantastic stuff You put on the news and it's all horrible. You know, we've got major wars going on. It's a very difficult time. I don't know what the solution is. I think you need a balance. I think there's a a good case for going out to your local comedy club. If someone organises a comedy club in the town near you, the tickets are probably quite cheap. Go and support them. And if they don't put enough women on the bill, tell them. Yeah. <laughs> tell them Lynn Parker said. Well, yeah, you. Lynn said yeah. so. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think that's the point. You know, it's supporting people who do things and not going into that sort of vortex of not self-loathing, but just not going anywhere, just not doing anything. Because it's it's very easy to sit on the fence and just watch yeah. and not go out. And humans are a sociable 
beast. Yeah, we need it. Yeah, we need connection and community. Yeah, that's what separates us. You know, with you know, yeah. lots of things like language separates us as well. But you know, we definitely need human connection, and and that's why you know, social isolation and loneliness is is an epidemic. You know, now yeah, so many comedians who stopped working during pandemic, there was a huge fall off. Not all of them have come back. It killed off quite a few people's ambitions which I understand. But if you want entertainment, I'm not just talking music, it's also music, live music, theatre. These things will disappear if you don't support them. But conversely, the big promoters and the big, you know, theatrical companies and that have to make it affordable for people. Well, this is what I was going to say as well, because trying to get tickets to a big gig or even not even a big gig it's a fortune isn't it and it and you know the bigger sort of comedy nights it is completely prohibitive for most people to be able to pay that so I'm all for encouraging people to go out to experience culture and creativity in its broadest sense but yeah we have to make it more affordable and in fact and that sort of brings me on to the next thing that I wanted to ask you about because you mentioned about you know going to your local comedy club and that might just be literally in the back room of a pub oh yeah and the how we need to support those things and those sorts of things could support us within our community and I've read somewhere that comedy on referral is being trialed as a kind of social prescribing activity and I wondered what your thoughts were on sort of (laughs) making comedy part of a health offer Yes, I was talking to, I was at parties this morning and uh, one of the women there was saying that about a new app, which I think she said was called Joy, or appropriate, and you can go on and you can be referred for anything from art classes to pottery, singing, all the usual stuff, but I know comedy's not in there. Oh, really? Because... There is still this kind of thing that comedy isn't really part of culture and the arts. We're still quite periphery. The Arts Council did get behind comedy during COVID. And, you know, Funny Women was the recipient of Culture Recovery Fund money. Thank God, because we wouldn't be here now. But, you know, it was up until that point, it was always seen as a very periphery thing. But also just to blow our little trumpet a bit we've won some funding via our local council here in Medway through the UK Shared Prosperity Fund and we're funding a whole campaign called Comedy in the Community which is to run some workshops and some events just to introduce uh, it's aimed at women because women are invariably carrying the can for all the local community stuff and a lot of them are the leaders and they run things but they often don't talk about it because they're lacking in confidence and they they see it as their thing. They don't, you know, I mean, often undervalued. So the whole idea of comedy in the community, and it is open to men as well, but it's aimed specifically at women in the community to build their confidence, to help them communicate, to help them to shout about their achievements, network more. So I'm quite proud of that because I think it's a campaign that having got the backing from my local council, I'm hoping that we can roll it out as a more of a national thing. Similarly, we are looking for funding 
to do what we've done all along, which is to do community-based events with the help of volunteers across the country. We do have producers, uh, volunteer producers in Ireland. We do have in London, but London's really tricky because of the cost of venues. We have a very successful producer over in Amsterdam, and one in Paris, and they run community-led events, gigs, comedy gigs, in the name of funny women. And I'm hoping that we can, we've done this all along, but it just can't carry. I mean, the thing that's happened during COVID is you just can't take risks anymore. So we have to have funding to do these things. And also these people need paying. Yes. You know, I mean, why should they do it as volunteers? I mean, it's fantastic that they do it. And I'm really grateful to them. And actually they run their own show. So they are making a little bit of money out of it, but that shouldn't, I don't feel good about that. I feel like I should be able to pay them to do a job. And, you know, we've come out of COVID and it's much harder, honestly, barely pay myself. Uh, And whilst that's fine because that's my choice, it's not fair to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, again, I don't think this is just in comedy. I think it's an arts thing. I think people undervalue the arts. And that thing about taking an application, taking something like this new app and putting comedy workshops in there as a something you can get referred to on the NHS. Fantastic. I would love that because I think, and also it's not just me delivering it. There are hundreds of women all over the country who can do this with other women. I couldn't do all of them myself. You know, <laughs> there are a lot, and there are lots of brilliant women who are jobbing comedians who do work with us and do training and coaching as well. So, you know, I think there's a fantastic opportunity. And I think what women learn by being much more comfortable around humour and being more forthright about their mental health or their everything, really, their physical health, their partnerships, their kids, their elderly parents, it just unites them in a way that nothing else does. I mean, there is the argument. I mean, I know a lot of women who are in choirs and things like that. I think they have the same, but they're more of a an activity where you're doing. The nice thing about comedy, people often forget, is it's about talking to each other. It's the ultimate form of communication because you, in order to be funny, you've got to explore your life. You've got to find out what it is. And quite often when we have workshops and these women delve into their past, it's amazing the stuff that's funny things they've never even thought of as funny come up. And that's that kind of what I love about what I do, really, because that's that's when the gold comes out, you know. I mean, it strikes me that if there were more opportunities for people to get involved in comedy workshops or comedy gigs, that it would go a huge way to supporting people's mental health and well-being, you know, in community settings. Because... You just reeled off earlier this huge list of things that benefit people from getting involved in comedy and being playful, being silly, laughing is just so good for us. Well, it's got to get back to our four-year-old self, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, that's why kids are uninhibited and actually why kids are funny, you know. They don't have all that baggage that we've built up along the way I mean I'm going through the sort of grandparent journey at the moment and every time I see my granddaughter because I don't see her all the time because they live far away but it just makes me laugh the whole time because little kids just they just do stuff you know 
They're funny. They are. They throw their food everywhere. They, you know, they point at things that aren't there. <laughs> she started to pull funny faces now because obviously she gets a laugh. She gets a reaction if she pulls a certain face. We lose all that as we get older. And, you know, I know I, th- I get upset because I think people, I think the woman that told me that she didn't like laughing was frightened to let go, you know. We hang on to all this stuff and we don't need to. We really don't. Yeah, I would say there's not that I'm a psychologist, it's called psychology, but you know, probably there's yeah. something going on there. Definitely. That needs to be opened up and let free. So let me just ask you a couple more questions about the Funny Women Awards and then I want to talk about some of the other stuff that you do. So Funny Women Awards, was this a response to men winning all awards? And also, can you tell us about the process? Like, how does it work? How do people get involved? Who can enter, etc.? It wasn't just a reaction to men in general. It was a reaction to a man who told me that women weren't funny. Definitely. But... I think his remark kind of set something off in my brain that said, hang on a minute, this can't be right. And in fact, if you look through history, there've always been loads of amazing women. And actually, women who are good at comedy are really, really successful. You know, in the last 30 years, you know, French and Saunders, Ruby Wax, the late great Victoria Wood. Your own matron as well? Our very own matron, Joe Brand, Jenny Eclair. I mean, the list is really long. But if you go back even further, there were, you know, back to, to sort of Vesta Tilly and Gracie Fields, the amazing Joyce Grenfell, Joan Rivers, yeah, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Phyllis Diller. I've just come back from DC and there was a wonderful exhibition at the Museum of American History. And I stood for five minutes looking at Phyllis Diller's stage outfit because she was way ahead of her time. And she wasn't young when she started comedy. She was well into her 40s. She'd had a whole career in advertising and copywriting. But, you know, she just was amazingly successful as a stand-up comedy. So people think it's new. It isn't. It's been there all the time. And women have always been really good at communicating their humour and making it into sitcoms. Lucille Ball would have been very young when I first started seeing this on TV, but I still remember Lucille Ball because she used to pull funny faces and she had kids and she was flawed and, you know. So it's always been there. I don't think this is just a reaction to men. I think it's a reaction to where have they gone? You know, I felt like women were being dumbed down and I think the great alternative comedy revolution although a few women sort of slipped through the net it was very much the domain of young white male privileged men and that kind of lives on a bit although there's been a lot of movement now not just funny women but working class comedy lots more black and asian comics coming through a lot more obviously we're in much more permissive and open world so a lot of people are openly gay queer non-binary you know that's all much better now and disability is now being showcased I mean the wonderful Rosie Jones 
she was in the awards final in 2016. I mean, I don't choose the winner. I always have a group of people. I still kind of upset she didn't win because she was my winner, but she didn't get voted by the rest of our judges. But, you know, she is a winner. Look how successful she is. Have we ever had anyone really as visible and with the opportunities that she has with cerebral palsy? It's fantastic. So I think my dream of it has broadened and become much more inclusive than I could ever have imagined from 20 odd years ago, which is basically a PR idea to get more women into comedy. I don't know if that's answered your question, but I've I've gone off on one now. Well, in part, and then I want I wondered if you could just sort of explain the process. Like, so you host awards across different towns across the country and how do people enter and how does that work? Technically, we host awards for any woman. So it's for new grassroots talent. So they're people usually unsigned. Quite often, the winners haven't been gigging for very long. This year, we had a winner who's been on the circuit probably for about two or three years and a couple of runners-up who've been around a little bit longer. We have a loose up to five years because... With women, if you have a baby and or you go off and you get distracted by your kids, you may have a break. But then we've had years when the winner's only been doing stand-up for maybe six months and they win, you know. It's about talent. You know, there are people sometimes just naturally good at it. So the entry point is you submit a showreel of you either performing in live or obviously we now have much more self-tapes because since covid People aren't gigging as well. I quite like that, actually, because I think it means that you don't have to have been gigging to enter. So and this is just for the stage award because we do have four other awards as well. Also, we found that a lot of women wanted to get involved in writing comedy. So we do have a comedy writing award, which has grown and grown. We had over 300 scripts in this year. That's a very work intensive award because <laughs> there's a lot of reading and I do rely on a lot of volunteers to read stuff. And then we have a comedy shorts award, which is it's different to submitting a show reel or a self tape because it's an online thing. So it might be a short sketch. It might be a character. It's a, a filmed thing. And they vary hugely from people who make full on. It's up to six minutes long. So some people go all out and do like a big production. And then last year, 2022, Lorna Rose Treen, she won two awards. She won the stage award performing as one character. And then she also won the Comedy Shorts Award with a completely different character. And in fact, a lot of people in the audience didn't even realise it was the same person. So it goes to show you there are lots of options Then we have a content creator award, which is a public nomination. It's a nod to the world of social media. So these are women who are on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook Live, making different things. And actually every one of our winners for that category are all doing extremely well, making a lot more money than me. (laughs) But they were doing it anyway. It's not because of, but they're all very proud of having won their Funny Women Awards. So content creator has become a really big thing. And that's where we get a lot of engagement because we always have a big shortlist and then the public vote on that. And this year's winner is known as Mammy Banter. And she's pretty big 
she was by far the winner this year. She had more votes than anybody. But it's come off the back of doing online. She is now touring a show as a stand-up. But it was the social media that came first. Mm. It's interesting. So you've got a lot more options now to test things out. And that's why I think the awards are important because they reflect all of that. And then last but not least, we have an industry award, which we just canvass people in the industry and ask them who they think should get a, you know, it's usually somebody behind the scenes that you wouldn't necessarily know is doing all this fantastic work. I suppose in a way, a sort of reflection, sort of what I do. So I always try and choose other women in the industry who are doing stuff, but possibly you wouldn't know who they were unless you were in the world of comedy. So I think it's good to raise the bar outside of our industry by having an industry award. So the woman who won it this year is another, she's a comedy promoter, but she does a lot of work in the industry. And when we had problems this year with Edinburgh Fringe, maybe not having their awards, because they were talking about they haven't got any money, she set up a sort of alternative Fringe award, which I think is going to carry on, which is great. But, you know, you can still do things without any money, but we shouldn't have to. You know, that's what annoys me, really. But there you go. Yeah, absolutely. And so is Funny Women then involved in anything to do with people's careers beyond that? Like, you know, in helping sort of early talent, get agents, get gigs, that kind of thing? Yeah. So we're not a management company. Um, That is a very common misconception. But we do act. It's very confusing. So you have management companies and you have agents. Some are both. But we are not a management company. So as a not-for-profit, we have to be very non... And running a competition cannot be biased. You can't run a competition with the sole aim of signing a load of talent and making money out of them. And I think, unfortunately, some people over the years have thought that I do that. And I would say to them, I definitely do not do that. And even when I've tried it, because I was advised at one point to try it and it didn't work. And I backed out really quickly. It's just not for me. I don't want to manage careers. There are lots of great management companies who are really good at it. They have lots of acts. They know how to deal with it. And I point the acts. I help them. I give them suggestions. I sometimes introduce them to management companies. There's plenty of work to go around, you know. So we do try and help our acts and our writers to get good management in place. Where we do work as an agent is that if you came to me and said, I want to put on a big corporate event and I want um, a keynote comedy speaker or I want a host or I want to have a comedy show at the end of it, then we can curate that and put it on for you. And we have all levels. I mean, I host things I'm not a comedian, but I am pretty good at it. You know, I fit a certain demographic, um, although I don't think that matters these days. But, you know, I hosted something this week called the Quirky Wedding Awards. Someone I know, she's launched these awards. She is a wedding planner. She's brilliant. And she just said she was looking for someone to host these awards. And she started out by saying, I'm not sure I really want a comedian, but I need. And I said, well, why don't I do it? And and that's, you know, that's kind of my comfort zone. So there are people like me who are in and around comedy or I know a lot of businesswomen as well who are like me, who are also very funny and very good at that kind of thing. 
And then some people just want an all-out, full-on comedy thing, which is fine. So we do the work for them. You know, we find out who's available. We book it. We charge a production fee. That's how we earn money, you know. Yeah. And so this is your sister business, Hilarious. Yes. It is still part of Funny Women. The original aim pre-COVID was to potentially set up a separate business. But I, I think the world changed and I, at the moment, it's better to keep Hilarious as a sort of separate brand within the Funny Women family. And we sometimes call events Hilarious. We do, um, we do these fantastic events, usually a couple of times a year, aimed at having fun at work. And they're a real mix of workshops, comedy, speakers, you know, sort of mashup of everything. And that's very much part of the Hilarious brand. And so the purpose of that, through these events and workshops is I'm quoting from your website changing the narrative for women in the workplace yeah and giving them the tools and confidence to have a voice absolutely so how does that work I mean you essentially people just book you when they want to put on an event for women in their workplace yes when we do our own events exactly like you would put on a comedy show to showcase the new talent of comedy We put on our fun at work events ourselves to show corporate clients what they could do in their workplace. And that works really well. I mean, you know, in the last couple of months, we had a couple of really lovely corporate jobs off the back of the fact that we have demonstrated by running our own events. They can see how it works and they think, oh, we'd really like a bit of this in our workplace. It's kind of where it all began. When I said earlier that people used to come to my workshops and asked me to go and run them in their companies. It's sort of come full circle, really. And that still goes on. But it's just about having a slightly different brand so that anyone who's a little bit freaked out by the idea of full-on comedy can take a more gentler approach, which is why we created... I mean, Hilarious started out really as a campaign because I got annoyed that in the creative industries advertising, marketing and that, a lot of creative work was exactly like comedy being done by young white men. And women in the advertising and creative world, they weren't being given the opportunity to write commercials or write the creative. The whole industry is still being dominated by men. And again, I needed to change the narrative on that. I think a lot of people have jumped on that bandwagon. I'm still true to my message is why not, if you've got a product that you sell to women, why would you ask a couple of young white men to write your ad for you? Come to us because I have got hundreds of great female comedy writers who could come up with something for your campaign. So that was the idea of it. And I still feel quite passionately that we're still not giving women that opportunity to dictate the narrative for products that are sold to them a lot of household decisions buying cars what your kids eat where we live you know where we go on holiday I don't know what the percentage is but I think it's quite high that a lot of those decisions are made by women so why are young men often who haven't even got kids barely out of short trousers themselves writing our (laughs) dictating our creative you know landscape that's got to 
that's a bit naughty of me, I suppose. But I do feel there is an element of that. Well, no, there's loads of truth in that, though, Lynn. It's terrible. I think that happens everywhere. You try being an older woman as well. That We are effing invisible, you know? The minute you hit 60, the way people treat you and the way people talk to you changes overnight. I, In my case, it was quite gradual, but I've noticed now, I'm well into my 60s now, on the way to the next one. And I cannot believe how people talk to me sometimes. I'm still working. I'm still out there. I probably do more than a lot of people. But there's this perception that the minute you hit 60, you're going to retire. You're not going to do anything. The reality is a lot of people, men and women, can't afford just to stop work and retire. Yeah. A lot of us started again, different challenges, got mortgages, Some people start new careers in their 50s and their 60s. Why aren't we acknowledging that? Yeah. And I think the way social media plays into that has a really big impact on it because it is the domain of youth. And if you look at it, we'd all believe that we're all 25 and on the verge of a fantastic sort of career or we're all going into Love Island or whatever. Nothing is reflective of normality. And and the only jokes that are made about old people are are, are at their expense. About incontinence yeah, and things like that, yeah. yeah. I interviewed somebody yesterday also about ageing and we were saying about how well, it's ridiculous really that age is a protected characteristic because that doesn't mean anything because we still live in a very ageist society. Totally. And I think just picking up what you were saying about women, I actually recognizing myself and I see it in my contemporaries that I'm in my mid 40s I'm 45 and I feel more confident I feel like my confidence is growing as I get older and therefore why would you not want to harness that in women or in men and non-binary people like you know if you if if that is the case like you and women feel like they are able to do more they're more productive maybe and your kids are getting older leaving home you might be post-menopausal and suddenly you've kind of got this new lease of life and so why not grab that and use it and Mm. celebrate it it's just I hate it it's crazy I started funny women when I was 46 yeah so you know I think I've been having a 20 year menopause you know (laughs) throughout funny women because (laughs) now there's all this knowledge about the you know this is the thing of the moment isn't it everyone's talking about menopause and perimenopause well they didn't 20 odd years ago they didn't talk about it and now I look back at I started funny women when I was 46 and I remember if I relate all the sort of symptoms that we now know about that are written about I'm thinking oh yeah I remember that yes I didn't feel that good oh I had therapy then I was uh, saying about um CBT now being used and I'm thinking well I had CBT when I was about 50 and you know it's come full circle again I think it's about recognizing that you can still work through it you know and I think in a weird kind of way because I had funny women to distract me I probably just got on with it you know yeah but I do think that it's good that we're talking about these things it's back to the whole thing and I mean you know when I started out no one talked, uh, honestly, the women never talked about menopause in comedy and they never talked about being gay. They never talked about uh, periods. 
I remember having a whole discussion with a male comedian who told me he didn't like women talking about periods. And I said, why? There's nothing wrong with periods. It's, you know, and, but all of these things now have become normal mm. in comedy performances. It's so true. And so they should be as well. Me and one of my oldest and closest friends who are basically going through all this at the same time, send each other these really funny voice messages on WhatsApp. There you go. About our yeah. symptoms and the really like ridiculous, annoying, yeah. frustrating things that are happening. Good. Like I'm not belittling it. It sometimes feels really challenging and really hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But we do try to make light of it because otherwise we would just cry. <laughs> I don't think I really ever discussed it with anyone. I think I just got on with it. I don't know. I need to talk it through with a few more women of my sort of age group. But I think we didn't really have the options that you have now to discuss it. And I'm sure there are people, you know, prob- probably that man who I challenged and set up Funny Women. I was probably having a menopausal moment, you know, when when I decided to create Funny Women. I fully believe it. But, you know, I think it's that kind of fire in your belly thing yeah. that makes you do stuff. So I think learning how to actually use things like the menopause and the, the symptoms of it Number one, understanding them and then thinking about how you can use it to be powerful and not being embarrassed to say you're having a hot flush or you don't feel that well or whatever. I mean, that's the good stuff that's coming out of all this new exposure to it. But, you know, childbirth, I can remember the problems I had when I had my kids. I had terrible time trying to balance my work, going back to work after my daughter was born was absolutely terrible. And it wasn't a man that I had a problem with. It was a woman who was really unsympathetic. And that's the other thing. I think women are often much more critical in the workplace. They think, well, I got through it. You know, I'm older. I I got through my menopause. Why should I help her out? You know, the old glass ceiling and all of that stuff. I think that still goes on and it has to stop. And I think learning to laugh together and see each other for what we are, which laughter does, is just the most amazing opportunity that we're potentially missing out on. And the more companies realise that, and particularly with their female employees, because women tend to hide their kind of sense of humour. They, they'll they'll laugh with each other and they're like you and your friend sending each other funny stuff. That is very typical of female humour. Yeah. But actually getting those women in a room and letting them talk about it and have a laugh about it is actually the way forward. And that's what I find about when I run stuff in companies. <laughs> the stuff that comes out is amazing. And if you've got the bosses in the room and they hear these women talking about this stuff, they go, oh, my God, I didn't realise that was happening. And particularly if you get the men in the room. I mean, men are quite scared to come into a room with lots of women, but they need to do it more because we've always had to do it be in rooms with lots of men. So why can't they come in and listen to us? I think they'd learn an awful lot. I think they would. More than they'd uh, bargain for, probably. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh, Lynn, you are such a trailblazer and an inspiration for women everywhere. Oh, thank you, Laura. Appreciate that. And congratulations on what you've achieved and the difference you've made to women's lives through comedy. And thank you for coming on Creative Health Podcast. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please rate, review and subscribe. Follow the show on Instagram at creativehealthpod and via the website creative-health.co.uk. This episode was edited by Penny Bell. Creative Health Podcast has been supported through Kent County Council's Arts Investment Fund. Thank you.